Our reading continues, Isaiah 58, the rest of the chapter. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor, Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I tell you, I had no idea until Andy spoke that today was Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> Would have chosen a different passage instead of one that talks about fast and trampling on the Lord's Day. It wasn't intentional. I, 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 I've heard about this football thing, but you're going to have to maybe tell me more about it after worship today. But thank you, Andy, for educating myself today. A few weeks ago... Uh, I shared on our Facebook page a commentary piece from the Washington Post, and the title was Church Shouldn't Be This Hard. The author, Tom Irich, an Episcopal priest, writes, after 36 years of serving churches as a pastor and a consultant, I came to the startling conclusion the other day. My conclusion, religion shouldn't be this hard. He continues to preach, really, in this Editorial. He says an assembly that exists to help people shouldn't be so willing to hurt people by declaring them worthless, unacceptable strangers at the gate. An assembly that should relax into the serenity of God's unconditional love shouldn't be so filled with hate and fear. Faith should be difficult, yes, because it inevitably involves self-sacrifice and renewal. Life, too, is difficult. Dealing with mammon is difficult. Speaking truth to power is difficult. Confronting our own weaknesses and capacity for sin is difficult. But the institution whose sole purpose is to help us deal with those difficulties shouldn't make matters worse. But it doesn't have to be this way. He writes, God certainly does not want it to be this way. Church should be a safe place, safe to be oneself, safe to make one's confession, safe to love whomever one feels called to love, safe to imagine more, safe to fail. Church should be different from society because our society needs healthy, faithful communities, but neither society nor God has much need for religious institutions grounded in right opinion, self-serving, and systemic danger. Church Shouldn't be this hard. I thought of this article as I was reading this text for this week, a much older text. We just read together the entire chapter of Isaiah 58. And the message of Isaiah is essentially the message of this article, only delivered a little more harshly, as the prophets tend to do. 
That's how it was with the prophets. They really didn't care much about who they offended. They didn't really have to deal with church politics or worry about their paycheck. They spoke rawly. They were independent. They were not concerned with making people mad. Their message was a message from the Lord. Well, maybe they could have worried because most of them ended up paying for their boldness with their very lives. And yet still they spoke the truth of God unfiltered. And Isaiah, well, Isaiah's word in Isaiah 58 is not a kind word to speak to religious people. Day after day, he tells us, the Lord says, they and they are religious people. They seek me and they delight to know my ways. Their heart's in the right place. They're seeking after me as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of God. The people say they're trying to please God and they're doing everything right. They're devout. They're spiritual. They never miss a Sabbath. They celebrate all the festivals, feast and fast. Yet God seems absent from them. And so they ask of God, God, why do we fast? But you don't see we we're humbling ourselves, but you do not notice God. And God's answer. Why? Because in the midst of your piety and your religious devotion, God says you serve your own interests on on your fast day. You oppress your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high, the Lord says. Is this the fast I choose? To humble yourself? Well, we thought so, God. Is this the, the, what I desire? To bow your head like a bulrush? To lie in sackcloth and ashes? Well, doesn't scripture say that, Lord? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Well, yeah, God, uh, that's what fasting is. It wasn't like they were making up these fast days and making up these religious acts. They're in the law. Just flip back to your, the front part of your Bible, the dusty part of your Bible, to that book of Leviticus. The pages are probably still sealed from the publisher. But there it is. All these laws about fasting and, and, and religious devotion, it's right there in Scripture. They're not worshiping incorrectly and they're not seeking after false gods. Yet still, God says they've got it so wrong. These religious acts of devotion, these are not the light God chooses. This is not this, the fast I choose, God says. To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free in whatever form of oppression it might be. To break every yoke, to share your bread with those who are hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from even your own kin. This is what God desires, scripture says. Following God doesn't have to be that hard, yet we make it so hard. As if being religious meant building fancy buildings and maintaining them. As if following God meant you had to get everything in your life right. You had to get your politics right. You had to act right. You had to give right. You had to do everything correctly, worship correctly. We act as if these are the things God requires of us. And we'll do everything imaginable under the sun, spending vast amounts of time and money in order to please God, to let our light shine. And God says no. All I ask is just be there for one another. Help each other. Stand with the least of these. If there's a burden on someone, release it. Stop pointing of the finger. 
the speaking of evil. Offer your food to the hungry. Satisfy the needs of the afflicted. And if you do this, then your light will shine. It will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will spring up like a spring whose waters never end. Then you shall call and then the Lord will answer. And the Lord will not just answer. The Lord will say to you here, I am. But you know, there's a temptation inside of all this. I don't know about you, but I read words like this. I love to read the prophets and start thinking about all the people who need to read the prophets. You know, if only they would hear what this prophet says. If only those Christians over there would heed this warning. If only the televangelists would pay attention to that part of the Bible. If only our political leaders and our national leaders would listen to the prophetic words of God, then everything would be better. And I read and I feel good about myself. Thus says the Lord, all you other Christians are getting it wrong. But look at us. I mean, I I read a book the other day about helping the poor. And I posted on Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, but I shared a post that somebody had posted about caring for refugees. Did you see that? I hope you liked it because I liked it. I support social justice organizations, you know, above giving to the church. I give to people who are doing good in the world. And well, just a moment ago, we even had a Sunday school and we talked about helping the poor. We're doing it well. This, God, this is the fast you choose, right? The prophet holds up a mirror and the message is deeply personal. We heard on the video uh, that we did watch earlier that God is personal but our faith should not be private. God invades our lives. And even in the midst of those of us who speak the right language and read the prophets and don't, don't recoil from their words, God asks us, are we fair to those around us? Do we pay our workers a fair wage? Regardless of our talk, are we stingy with our resources of time and money? Do we talk about helping the poor but not actually know anyone who is poor? Do we still hide behind our religious devotion, our church attendance, our piety, and ignore the suffering around us? The prophet's message hits close to home because, yeah, he's talking to Washington or maybe it was called Jerusalem in the Bible. But he's also talking to us. His message is to us today and we need to hear it. I need to hear it because the fast God chooses is not a good sermon, though I would like to believe it is. But it's how we treat one another. That's the measure of God's success. And you know, we make it so hard, but following God is really not that hard. We're in the season of Epiphany right now, and our our sermon series has been called We've Got the Light of Freedom. The season of Epiphany is about sharing the light of God. It's a time that comes after Christmas, and in Christmas we light the candles, and Epiphany reminds us that that light is just not for those dark nights of Advent, but it's a light that we're supposed to take into the world. On the front of your bulletin is a great poem for the season of Epiphany, a poem about what to do after Christmas is over. I know it's February. It feels like it was so long ago. The poem's written by Howard Thurman. He was dean at Howard University and a civil rights leader. He wrote a book called Jesus and the Disinherited, written in 1949, a book that was very deeply influential to Martin Luther King Jr. and many others. And in many ways, Thurman was the philosophical, theological mind behind the civil rights movement. And his message of faith was really pretty simple. That Jesus made his home among those who were the least of these, and so should we. 
Like the prophets, he called the church back to that simple message of faith. And his words remind us today, that poem on the front reminds us of the true calling of the church, what our light should always be. He writes, when the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people and make music in the heart. Or as God once spoke through the prophet Isaiah, is this not the fast I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, break every yoke, to share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless into your home, clothe the naked, hide, don't hide from your own kin, your family, and your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you do this, then your light shall break forth like the dawn, your healing shall spring up quickly. May we always choose the light that God chooses. May we be that light to those around us wherever we go. In a moment, we'll sing our hymn of invitation to the communion table. And it's a song that's actually based on the poem we just read. We sung it according to, we have a hymnal uh, in the office where ministers have written uh, every time we've sung a hymn. So we sang it in 2010. We've sung it before, but it's been a while. But it's an easy tune. It's called The Light of the World. As we sing it, let us contemplate on the light God has called us to be as we approach the table of Christ. Thank you. 